The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are that of the hosts and represent no other individual organisation or entity. Good evening, Roger, and I was supposed to be doing that uh, intro last week, but unfortunately, I messed up. I forgot to check my levels. And I didn't have my recording software going, so it's both of their fault that you got what you got last week, but... Hey ho, these things happen. We've done 134 episodes of Break the News so far, haven't yeah. we, Adam? So I'll, I'll have to send a reminder the day before. Remind you to download the, the uh, software, and I'll have to remember to check my levels as well. Uh, because when I put in my external mic, it goes right quiet for some reason, but it is better quality because then you don't echo when you bounce back off the screen. But yeah. It does go very quiet, so I have no idea why that happens, but when I turn it up to the max, it's fine. If you have a complaint about any of our episodes, I'll take an email off anyone for any reason at this point. Breakthenewspod at gmail.com. Email us, email us, email us. I did notice that some of the people who came from our spiking listeners a couple of weeks ago are still with us, so hello, whoever you are. Drop us a line and we'll give you a shout-out. Yes, and today is the 8th of December 2023, and we're recording it on a Friday again because I'm working tomorrow evening. I've actually been at work today as well. Got loads of shifts booked over Christmas. So your new job's going really well. And it does, it does. It's, yeah, it's really good. Um, I'm really happy that I've joined Tesco. Fingers crossed I'll try my best and, yeah, I'll work as hard as I can. And also, um, I just want to mention, I did a park run last week, very, very cold conditions. Um, I know you said you have four seconds after PB. Well, that's false. I was 24 seconds slower than my PB, if I remember right. Sorry about that. Fake news from Roger there. And if we were going to go by the harder cast, because there's two castes at Big House and it was the harder, slightly harder one, I was actually one second faster than that time. Don't seem to be running quite as fast at the moment. I seem to go through slight phases of fast and slow. I'm going to list a part tomorrow. Well, that's what we've decided. Could always change our minds, of course, but a PB there is 19.39. There's no way I'm going to get that tomorrow because obviously I've been working I've been sat down a lot more there's no way absolutely no way that I will get that PB um, and if if I do get a PB I'm sure Roger will edit that in because that would be a remarkable PB if I do beat 1939 which I highly doubt because it's going to be raining as well seems that Adam was right he completed his park run on a very wet course and also sleep deprived in 20 minutes and 42 seconds, one minute and three seconds off his personal best. But he still came in ninth out of over 200 people, so I think he's done amazingly well. I think everyone's slowing down now as we get towards Christmas and it's freezing out there. Oh, well, still plenty of people out running that still get a PB, but even so, if I can't get any faster than what I can get, because obviously I am ageing as well, I'm still keeping fit and healthy, and I think that's the main thing. I've had a much more chilled week this week, just getting on with work. I was able to um, take a extremely rare day off work today for very boring reasons that I won't go into, but I took my daughter to see um, the new Wonka movie, which was all right. It wasn't amazing, but it's it's worth a watch if you're a huge fan of 
Willy Wonka and all of that. It, it doesn't disgrace like all the other movies. It's not terrible. The new episodes of Doctor Who are terrible, but I'm going to talk more about TV later on as we get to the end of the podcast. There's also been some very, very big political news this week, and it seems to have all ended in chaos. I'm going to start by talking about Robert Jemmick. So, new immigration plans aim to fill labour market gaps with British workers reducing net migration by at least 300,000, according to Immigration Minister or former Immigration Minister Robert Jemrick. The five-point plan shifts reliance away from foreign labour, prompting concerns from the Confederation of British Industry, CBI, about addressing labour shortages. Jemrick emphasised the goal of building a more productive economy with increased investment in British workers. The plan includes raising the minimum salary for skilled overseas workers, banning family dependence for care workers and reviewing the graduate visa route. Critics argue the measures may exacerbate workforce crises while the government remains open to further steps if net migration doesn't increase. What do you think of this, Roger? All sounds okay to me and a fair enough plan for immigration, but the guy wouldn't have had time to do any of this anyway. (laughs) That is true, Um, because Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick has also resigned over concerns. Oh, Jenrick, we never And this was just two days after he'd announced that. He's resigned over concerns that the government's emergency Rwanda legislation lacks stronger protections against legal challenges. The bill aims to establish... Rwanda as a safe country for asylum seekers deterring channel crossings. Jemruk, a key ally of Prime Minister Richie Sunak, asserted the legislation was insufficient for success. Sunak countered, stating ousting courts entirely would jeopardise the scheme. The proposed law responding to the Supreme Court's ruling against sending Asylum seekers to Rwanda faces criticism for not going far enough, leading to Jemrick's resignation. So quite a lot of big immigration news this week. Do you think Robert Jemrick was right to resign? He was an idiot to accept the job in the first place if he's come up with a plan that is impossible to implement. And for thinking he could get this Rwanda deal to work. No one's managed it so far. Suella didn't manage it. What sort of superpower has Jenrick got? Well, he's the immigration minister, so he's below the Home Office, which is James Cleverly at the moment. And also, after Robert Jenrick resigned, Richard Sunak actually made the immigration minister into two ministers. So he's now got a minister for legal migration, and he's also got a... Minister for Illegal Migration. He's probably just trying to keep more people on side so less of them send letters to the 1922 committee. That's what I was thinking. And I looked at these two figures. They're both figures from the right of the party. So he's trying to make sure he keeps the right of the party together so that they don't put in letters of no confidence. And if they have put in letters of no confidence, they'll take them out. 
they'll be sending Christmas cards of no confidence <laughs> the way that things feel to be going at the moment. So it seems as though Richie Sunak is trying to do two things here. Is trying to make it look like he's being serious about tackling immigration, even when it seems that he's not actually interested in it by the sounds of it. But he's also trying to, at the same time, keep the party on board, give them jobs, and then that way they don't uh, put no confidence and try to oust him. So he's just basically expanding the government, uh, making it a bigger government, which also means um, that more people are getting paid higher wages in Parliament, which obviously comes out of our taxpayers' money as well. And in a way, I will give him this credit, it's a bit of a shame for old Rishi that all this immigration stuff is overshadowing the fact that the last couple of weeks, things with the economy seem to have been going rather well. They have, and up until all the bickering, or whatever you'd like to call it, over this immigration stuff... He was actually um, clawing back a bit of support in the polls. But now I've seen some polls today, which have been after all this, and he's actually lost support because of the bickering within the own party. So I thought he was doing rather well at clawing back support, but now the party just seems to be so divided and they're basically messing it up for themselves here. I'm definitely getting ready to predict quite an early election in our prediction show in a few weeks' time, Adam. Yeah, well, everyone thinks differently. There's some options that Richard Sunak could go down here. If they try to oust him, he could call an early election to prove that he wants to be Prime Minister. So that is a possible solution. He could also call a vote of no confidence. They might try to oust him, and if they oust him, we could end up with a new Prime Minister and the election could end up being as late as possible. Or Richard Sunak might just stay in the job and try to hold it out and have the election as late as possible and hoping that they claw back some support, which, by the sounds of things, um, I highly doubt. I think if he finds he hasn't got the support of his MPs, he's going to call an election just to spite them. To prove their point. Anyone with a brain knows it's going to be a wipeout at yeah, this stage. Yeah, there, there is going to need to be an election in just over a year's time anyway, so um, it's just a matter of deciding when they choose to call it. It's all about that date, so they could go and get it over with now, or they could wait until the end, so... There are different options, and you think they're going to probably try and get it over and done with. I think there's no use in prolonging the inevitable, but... But he could call it today and have it as early as possible, but he's not called it today, so he is trying to stack it out by the sounds of it. (laughs) That would be a very Merry Christmas indeed for some people. Parliament has to be suspended for so many weeks before they have the election anywhere, because the reason why Parliament has to be suspended so that they give the parties time to campaign for the election. Don't they go on the Christmas holly bobs pretty soon anyway? Yes, so that means, yeah, it, that's why it'd have to be in January, because then obviously it's, I think, is it five weeks or something in Parliament? I don't know the exact amount. The later they leave it, the later the election will be, but we'll just have to wait and see, because there's people on the right of the party that are unhappy, and there's also some on the left of the party that are, that are starting to fall out with Sunak as well, because... They were not happy about how some of this legislation on Rwanda destroyed some of the human rights of migrants and 
They wanted more legal immigration to fill potential workforce shortages. So there is massive division within the Conservative Party at the moment. And Suella has really criticised it. And I think she's she was the one that has led the way. And Robert Jemmerich's gone with her now and resigned. It's funny you mentioned that Rwanda there, Adam, because that was the lead story on the news I listened to as I was driving here. Apparently the figures come out for how much the Rwanda plan has cost mm. so far. And I could have even mentioned that. I think it was 240 million or something. Yeah, eye-watering amount of money. And I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again, dinners for kids. That's money that could be spent on feeding kids. Yeah, it's not very good what's happened, uh, but I guess there does need to be a deterrent because all these migrants are also also have to be fed as well, though, don't they? I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> no one's actually gone to Rwanda yet, has there? Nope, and that might be something that we mention in our prediction recap show in a couple of weeks' time as well. It was supposed to start last year. It didn't. And then it was going to happen this year, which so far it hasn't. And it's, it's nearly at the end of the year. I remember talking about this in 2022 around April, May time. I'll tell you what figure we've never had, though, because I remember that this was supposed to be a reciprocal arrangement. How many Rwandans have come here? I don't think any, because I'm sure in the deal, it was if we sent so many people to Rwanda, they also traded us with other migrants, so because none have gone there, I don't think any have come here, but I would need to look into that, but I'm sure that's how the deal works. Rwanda are clearly benefiting this, and I watched PMQs this week, and Kia Stammer also mentioned about, yeah, if they commit a crime, they'll also, uh, we'll have to take them back anyway, so there's a little, there's a big loophole there, all the people that have to do, if they do get sent to Rwanda, commit a crime, and you'll be back in the UK. The plan definitely has a lot of holes in it, I mean, but it's never even happened yet. I was willing to give it a go. I, I remember when the Rwanda plan first was mentioned, I didn't greet it with derision. I said, fair enough, and I still think it, it could work. Why not? Give it a go. Rwanda doesn't seem like such a terrible country to me, from what I can gather. No, but it, it's not there's worked. no deterrent, and yeah, if, if there's ways around it... Um, and there's more loopholes that are being opened up. By the sounds of it, Richie Sunak seems to be opening them up. And I also heard a few weeks ago that, I think in the last week or so, that he he's also got some um, businesses in it, it invested in immigration. So of course. it makes a lot of sense as to why he actually doesn't want to stop immigration, but he also wants to win the election. So it's all right him saying things, but then he's actually going and doing the complete opposite by the sounds of it. Rwanda is a waste of time, it's a bin fire, it's a HS2, and the sooner it gets scrapped, the better. Robert Jenrick has lost his job. By the end of 2024, Rishi Sunak will have lost his, and another failed leader we've had is Boris Johnson. He's been in the news this week, Boris, our lad. He's been giving evidence at the public inquiry looking at how his government handled the COVID crisis. Matt Hancock said a few things as well this week that little worm but unfortunately he didn't leave in chains as I wanted so I've not said much about that but for Boris over two days at the hearing the former prime minister admitted some mistakes were made but defended his overall approach there were occasional theatrics however such as when he accused the lead inquiry lawyer of saying he had his feet up at his country retreat in February 2020 before Mr Johnson admitted he'd confused the comment with someone else 
So already Boris Johnson was trying to find technicalities to undermine the inquiry. Boris choked up when he described the return of the virus after the first national lockdown, describing 2020 as a tragic, tragic year. He also drew on his own experience of being moved into intensive care with the virus to insist he did care about the fate of those who suffered with COVID, and he understood what an appalling disease this is. He opened his testimony by saying he was sorry for the pain and loss and the suffering people experienced during the pandemic. But his comments were interrupted by protesters who were ordered to leave the inquiry room. Some members of bereaved families stood up, holding pieces of paper spelling out the message, the dead can't hear your apologies. There were also protests outside the inquiry building during his evidence, and his departure from the venue on both days was greeted with jeers and boos. The main point he wanted to get across was that ministers did their level best to respond to the virus in difficult circumstances. However, he admitted he, along with scientists and advisers, should have twigged the seriousness posed by the disease earlier than they did. He also said his Downing Street operation had a problem with gender balance, adding that too many meetings were male-dominated. He conceded that, as a symbol of government earnestness, mass gatherings should perhaps have been banned earlier than they were in 2020. And he also apologised for describing COVID as bollocks in a previously published handwritten note from October 2020. He was more relaxed, however, about some of the foul language revealed in WhatsApp messages disclosed during the course of the inquiry so far. Do you remember when I talked about Dominic Cummings' WhatsApp a couple of weeks ago where he was appalling about that woman? Yeah. Boris denied Number 10 had been a toxic place to work and said bad tempers exchanges between advisers showed naturally self-critical people anxious to do their best, even adding it was creatively useful. And he shrugged off messages in which he was urged to sack Matt Hancock as health secretary, saying that as prime minister, he was constantly lobbied by somebody to sack somebody else. It's just what I'm afraid happens and it's part of life, he told the inquiry. He did reveal, however, he had apologised to Helen McNamara, the former official who accused him of failing to tackle misogynistic language used about her in a WhatsApp group by his former top advisor, Dominic Cummings. He said that whilst understandable, the different messages in different parts of the UK risked being confusing for the public. One eye-catching revelation during Mr Johnson's testimony came over diary extracts from Sir Patrick Vallance, his chief scientific advisor at the time. According to one entry, the former Prime Minister blamed high infection rates in Wales during the pandemic on the singing and the obesity. What do you think, Adam? May actually have been right. At least I think you were kind of pressured into doing a lot of the stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, and maybe you should have um, listened to his own gut a little bit more because clearly number 10 was a tremendously toxic environment. Um, he can say what he likes, that it wasn't, it was just normal, but that just shows how toxic it was ultimately he's responsible for that he's responsible for his staff thinking that they can behave in in that way do you actually think that prime ministers have control over what they're doing or do you think the prime ministers in this country are basically being run by pressure the good ones get control over what they're doing but bad leaders lose control what so like Boris Liz Truss well Rishi um, Rishi now Theresa May and Richie Sunak of all Peter just caved in 
and they seem to be trying to do different things because they're getting pressure from one side, they're getting pressure from another side. Yeah, since COVID, they've just been like a Catherine wheel, a sparkler that's on the floor, and it's just going <laughs> flicking around, not knowing what it's doing, just making noise and not achieving anything. It's like one of Elon Musk's rockets not failing to take off. That's what this government is. It's Elon Musk's rockets. At least, at least they're making themselves money. Oh, of course. They'll always make themselves money. <laughs> they want to do things, but they can't do things because the game, the, the parties are so divided. And as we've seen, the Conservative Party is increasingly divided, but the Labour Party also appears to be divided. So I think they're going to have the same problem when they're getting as well. And it's going to be interesting when the findings of this inquiry do come out. Most of the key players have taken the stand now so another thing to look out for in 2024 is when the findings come out and maybe some consequences are dished but i doubt there'll be any serious consequences these people are rich no and do you do you think this covid inquiry deserves an awful lot of attention because really it seems like it's focusing on the wrong thing it seems like it's focusing on uh, the government action but like boris mentioned as well um, it didn't actually focus on lockdown harms at all. So it appears that, um, yeah, the COVID inquiry is only focusing on one thing and it's not focusing on the harms that lockdown brought as well. I think it's good that it's focused on the leadership and the lockdowns and the toxic atmosphere at number 10. But I also agree with you that other things should be put into focus, like science and science communication. I mean, it's been four years since COVID-19 first happened, and we still haven't got conclusive science on masks. If another virus comes tomorrow, we're still going to be arguing like little bitches about masks again. And making vaccines. Yeah. So we we need to figure this out and figure out how to communicate science and rely on science. And whether we should have lockdowns or not, there's been no mention. We need to debate whether lockdowns were necessary or whether the cost bar harm because now obviously we've had inflation etc which is now obviously appears to be recovering and you've noticed this a lot as well haven't you the foresight from the inquiry seems to be that if the first lockdown had been faster and longer then perhaps the second and third lockdowns could have been avoided the schools should have never shut that is the one hill i will die on they should have never shut the schools, never. Do you think we should have had it like Sweden, where we've let people take their own personal responsibility? The libertarian in me wants to say yes, but the realist in me knows that people wouldn't behave themselves. I mean, I remember seeing them crowded beaches at the yes. start of the first lockdown. Number 10 parted away as well, so people didn't follow the rules anyway. So that's a tricky one for me. But if I had to choose one option, I probably would go for Sweden, just let people mm. And l- I think Boris Johnson wanted people to decide for themselves, but he couldn't do that because he was under pressure. It's very tricky as well to tell people how serious the disease is because that wasn't really known yet either. And it still doesn't seem to have been settled on just how severe <laughs> COVID was. We know that some people died, which obviously is tragic, but people die from other diseases, other viruses, and it just seems to be like a seasonal virus now, like the, like the flu, for example. People die from loneliness. I do a 
separate show at the community radio station about mental health and we did a show about loneliness and I looked into some of the stats as to what being on your own and lonely can do and it's horrifying. It's like the equivalent of smoking. It takes that much off your life. Is that because of how people behave when they're by themselves? It's what it does to your mental health and that destroys your immune system, creates stress and knocks years off your life. I didn't realise it was that bad. Yeah, being regularly lonely can knock 20 years off your life. Um, and do some people manage to cope through loneliness as well? Yeah, do But it doesn't affect everyone the same, does it? Absolutely not. I'm talking about averages here, yeah. yeah. Just like smoking. My Uncle Norm, he lived to 90 and smoked 40 a day, and I'm convinced that tarring those cigarettes were the only thing that was holding his lungs together at the end. <laughs> But then you see some people who, who do die early of smoking-related deaths. You've got to always go on averages for yeah, these things, haven't absolutely. you? absolutely, because people can live over 100. Averages are the best way to go. One thing that the police don't seem to understand is about grooming gangs. So police still lack a clear understanding of grooming gangs, as reported by the police watchdog in a review of... 27 cases, unreliable data collection and the lack of prioritised intelligence gathering were identified. Contrary to concerns about Asian grooming gangs, the majority of offenders were found to be white. Despite some recent progress, the report expressed disappointment that after a decade, effective responses to protect children were not developed. The Home Office had established a task force in April to address the issue. The report recommended a more consistent approach to tracking grooming gang abuse, highlighting issues with inexperienced officers and raised concerns about victim blaming. The National Police Chiefs Council acknowledged the problem and emphasised ongoing efforts to improve. Now, what did you make of this? And I know this is this came out quite a few years ago about the majority of them being white, but I think it's quite clear that that is incorrect data. What are your thoughts? I think it probably is correct data, and I'll tell you why. Because 80% of this country is white. Ah, but we're talking about uh, in percentages. The, if we're talking about proportionality yes. here... Then say if, well, I know that Asians aren't the other 20% of the population. Let's say Asians are 15% of the population. Are they committing more than 15% of the crimes? That's the question. Yes. Um, They might be. (laughs) I don't know. To be honest, I don't look into that too much because to me, a dirty paedophile scumbag is a dirty paedophile scumbag. And may they all rot. Necessarily to do with the skin, it's more to do with culture, I believe. Yeah. And maybe some cultures are better than others and maybe we need to look into things like this. The concern here is I would imagine that certain police forces have probably may only chosen to record the white paedophiles or whatever because they're frightened of recording the Asian ones for fear of being racist. I won't go so far as to say some cultures are better than others, Adam, but I will say that some cultures treat children more poorly than others. there's some cultures that are more liberal type, there's other Mm -hmm. cultures which are very, very tough and they all have their strict rules and they might not necessarily be good rules. People may not have freedom 
in the countries and that's not necessarily a good thing. So I do think there may be um, different cultures that are better than others. It's like if we look at Japan, for example, they have one of the highest life expectancies because of their culture. So that's clearly a good culture that's working well. A life long lived is not necessarily a life well lived. I think saying one culture is better than another is really, really hard because there are so many ways you well, can measure and betterness. You can and different people may like different cultures. So Because something is cultural does not mean it's sacred. Some things that are part of some cultures are wrong and we should stand up for something that we think is wrong and stand against something that is wrong and not normalise it or accept it because it's cultural. Yeah, and I think we need to be able to debate this a lot more in public. I think politicians should debate it more. I think that they should have more debates about stuff like this on the news and I think we should be more open about cultures rather than trying to cancel people for criticising cultures. I think we should be allowed more debates. Some people may be offended, but offence works both ways and people uh, need to see open answers. So I don't think it's necessarily about trying to close people down for racism, etc., just because they disagree with specific cultures. And I think there's toxic elements in most cultures when you look into them, traditions and things that people do because they just do them. And when you look at them, they're horrifying. And also time changes values and expectations. I I could also criticise my culture. For example, I think Christmas is a massive waste of time. (gasps) Everyone gets worked up they feel like they've got to buy gifts for people i know it can be happy on the day but the trouble is people if they're struggling they feel pressured into buying gifts for loved ones and i think it also causes a lot of misery as well as happiness so i do think like i say, i don't think uh, the british culture is perfect either do you know what you are right adam and i actually think it takes a strength of character to criticise a culture and your own culture instead of just holding it sacred. And that should be part of culture. Having an open mind. And I've just gone and criticised my own culture, though. Having an open mind and being willing to change is very important. And with Christmas, you've definitely got a point. I'm making a big effort this year to be more chilled this Christmas. Yes, that's what I think we need. I'm also encouraging my wife to do the same because, do you know, Adam, she spends so much time in the weeks before Christmas running around, organising everything. By the time we get to Christmas Day itself, she's knackered, she's done. That's what I mean. She always gets ill. People feel like they've got to go and buy expensive gifts and everything. People might want to spend that money on something slightly better or whatever. So I think people feel pressured into doing these types of things. So... I do think there are stuff within British culture that are wrong as well. Well, I've got my PlayStation 5 already, so that's all I want for Christmas. Yeah, it's good for kids to enjoy. I do think it causes a lot of worry more than anything does Christmas. Kids do make a massive difference. I will just say here a shout-out to my oldest daughter because she had a very successful Christmas concert this week that I I enjoyed seeing on Wednesday night. It lasted till nearly 9 o'clock, nearly three hours of 
festive wonder but oh they had some amazing acts it's so good to see her getting more confident and standing on stage singing and taking it so seriously as well (laughs) i'm really proud of her Uh, yeah i hope my kids do have a good christmas i hope there's something good on telly this christmas as well but um not very likely from what i've seen so far well i moved us on to the topic of telly there That's what my next article is about. My next two articles, actually. So first, we'll go to the BBC and then we'll go to ITV. So on on the BBC, the UK government this week has announced a 6.6% increase. That's £10.50 a year in the TV licence fee. Now, we know how we feel about that, Adam, don't we? Mm. And they've raised it to £169.50 a year, effective from April following a two-year freeze at 159 quid. This is less than the anticipated £15 increase. Can't you tell I got this from the BBC? Mm-hmm. Um, leading to a projected £90 million funding gap. Culture Secretary Lucy Fraser also revealed a review of the BBC's funding model, citing changes in the evolving broadcasting sector. The BBC board expressed concerns about the impact on content budgets and the mm-hmm. wider BBC Critics argue that the slightly lower fee increase will have little impact amid the cost of living crisis. The review's terms of reference praise the BBC as a national institution, but highlight challenges to the current licence fee funding model's sustainability in a digital era with increased content choices. The government transferred financial responsibility for over 75 free licences to the BBC in 2019, affecting nearly a million pensioners. On the same day, at midday, BBC News Channel chief presenter Mayu Mashiri had to apologise for inadvertently raising her middle finger during a live news broadcast. This is what the licence fee is getting spent on, this level of professionalism. Mashiri explained that it was a private joke with the production team, pretending to count down, and she unintentionally made the gesture when the broadcast went live. She expressed great regret for any offence calls, clarifying that it was not directed at viewers and was meant as a silly joke for a small group of colleagues. What do you think of all that, Adam? I don't know, because I haven't really looked into the full story, but I've noticed the Conservative Party do appear to have used it in some of the campaign tweets and posts, social media posts from what I have seen. How do you think your employee would react if video went up online of you sticking the finger up? I think I may get sucked. Yeah, yeah, this lass is getting away with it when she should have behaved much better. She should have been much more professional. Saying that she got caught out by the countdown is no excuse. I mean, you've seen and heard the BBC News countdown, haven't you? It goes boop, boop, doo, doo, boop. You know, it's a whole song. You know when it reaches zero. You don't get to be a a chief newsreader without knowing when that countdown ends. So the fact that she was still doing it just smacks of incompetence and unprofessionalism. And it's really disappointing that that's come on the same day they've announced this fee increase. And do do you think the BBC deserve a fee increase? Do they, Al? It should be frozen forever or it should be slowly reduced. People eventually aren't going to want to pay it because, as the reviewer said, the culture now is going more and more towards subscription, tailored content, Mm. people paying for what they want. And that's the way the BBC are going to have to go, whether they like it or not. I've said here on the podcast, I've used the BBC and I like the BBC, especially the new stuff. I would 
be willing to pay a few, a few quid a month for a decent news service, for a news website that I could just go on and get news. And I know I'm never going to get unbiased news, but news that's as neutral as the BBC. Mm. I'd be willing to pay a few well, quid a month for which, that. Which news free. website is the most neutral? Would you say the BBC is the most neutral? It's not just neutrality, it's ad-free as well, because using news mm. websites... A lot of them, the adverts make it impossible. It's like you're chasing the news, you know, trying to get rid of all the pop-ups and the subscriber banners and everything. Even when you've got blocks on and I reject cookies, it's a nightmare. I think my top choice for news website is the BBC, followed by Sky News. Then I usually go to GB News, and then local news is Telegraph and Argus always. Mm. But um, the Times, I can't access the Times because... They've got a very, very good paywall system, but from what I've seen in the headlines and stuff, it does appear that the times seem to be very, very, very balanced in theirs, more balanced than the BBC. They have both sides, but I'm guessing that's why it's um, a very quality site to read. But I don't pay for the times, but it does appear that the times are a very, very good news website. And I'm not paying for another new subscription when I'm already paying for the BBC. And I'm not paying because there's so many different news websites that I can look at. So even though there may be a few exclusive articles a year that I want to read, it's not worth paying for just to read a few exclusive articles because nine times out of ten, you can get the article on another website. Or you can listen to us. Hey. <laughs> Although, yeah, yeah but, we probably may not have the news, though, because we're only selecting three articles each week. Uh, it does take us a few time to edit, but... When we break news, I suppose we are breaking it down and offering you analysis. Yes, uh, we're breaking it up to, like, seven or eight days later. <laughs> it all depends, like, how interested we are as well, doesn't it? As to, yeah, how quickly we get out and whether we're busy or not. I don't think we've done one this year where we've had to, like get our recorders out and do an instant podcast, have we? But last year, I think there were two or three times. Yeah. In, in, like, in one Trump, month. Richard Sunak. Yeah, I'm not sure if we've done that this year. Boris Johnson resigning. Uh, but I'm sure we may do that if, if Richard Sunak goes this week. But if anything absolutely earth-shattering happened, of course, we'd be bringing it as soon as we possibly could. Do you, do you think Richard Sunak's going this week? Nah, he's all right till it, Christmas. Yes, and... But do you think he'll be going in New Year sometime? Yes. 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 But just um, don't know when. <clears throat> oh, well, I've got an idea, and we'll talk about that more when we do predictions. But one person who will be going this week is Nigel Farage. He'll be leaving the jungle because he's... But will a... it be a success or will it be a failure? That's what we've got to question. <laughs> exactly. Because I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, 2023 is in its third week. It's the final on Sunday night, so I hope to have this podcast out by the time it does go out. And speculation is rife among viewers and betters after the recent departures of Jamie Lynn Spears, Britney Spears' sister, and the journalist Grace Dent. With celebrities, apparently, like Frankie Dettori, Neela Rose, Fred Siriex, Nick Picard, and Daniel Harold already eliminated. Tony Bello and Sam Thompson me neither, have become the current favourites thanks to their popular bromance. However, the unpredictable nature of the jungle and the ongoing trials may lead to shifts in betting odds. According to Oddschecker at the time of recording, 
Sam Thompson is the front runner with odds of four to nine to win. So that means if you stuck a tenner on him, you'd only get £14.40 back. So he is the massive favourite. But he is followed by Nigel Farage at four to one. So if you've put £10 on Nigel Farage and he wins, you'll get £50. Well, Nigel Farage a few days ago, he was like 16 to one. Mm. And then he's followed closely by Tony Bello at six to one. If you put £10 on Tony, you'd get 70 back. So the competition remains intense as viewers eagerly await who will ultimately be crowned the king or queen of the jungle. You want Farage all the way, don't you, Adam? I know what you think. I want Farage, <laughs> um, but if the public believe of it, I'm happy for him to go. Of it. I haven't watched it, but I have been voting Farage just because I support him. Um, I've been using all my votes for Farage. Have you actually watched any of this gun? <laughs> no. No, no, have I? I don't <laughs> intend to. I, I might probably watch... shouldn't be voting. <laughs> I might watch the final on Sunday night. Well, Jimmy and you just keep asking us to vote, so I've, uh, he's, it's encouraged me to download the app and vote. And I think that's the reason why Nigel Farage is doing so well. I might watch the final on Sunday night if there's nothing else on or if my wife has it on in the background. It'll be funny if Nigel Farage wins and I think it will... Um, I think there's a good chance of it, to be honest. I think there's a strong political movement for it and, um, yeah, he's got a chance. I think it's going to be a surprise out of victory. I think bookies are not always right, remember, and I think Nigel Farage will end up winning because GB News over the weekend are going to basically spam people to vote for him. I don't know enough about this other guy, about Sam Thompson and what kind of support he's got to make a prediction. Uh, but I do agree. It would, I don't it think would... Sam Thompson's well known, though, is it? Because he, I've never even heard of him before. No, but those odds on him to win are massive. He's a huge favourite. I mean, 4 to 9. Yeah, but Nigel Farage has increased an awful lot. He has, he has. <laughs> so I'm definitely not discounting that Nigel could win. And if he does win, then I'll certainly have a big smile on my face. What, a few weeks ago, you were saying Jersey would be the... I did, and I was wrong. Well, um, then it could still happen, but it's yeah, it seems like the odds have gone against her. It just shows what I know about the world of celebrity, doesn't it, Adam? Hey. <laughs> but, and it sounds like Nigel Farage is a bigger celebrity than that. Why is that being manipulated because of GB News, perhaps? In my opinion, he's a bigger celebrity than all three of those favourites because he's the only one who I know what he did, who he is. And he actually talks an awful lot of sense, which is why I backed him. Well... Good luck, Nigel, and good luck, everyone in the jungle. And if you do watch it, then I hope you enjoy it if you're into that sort of thing. I'm not sure if this will sort have of gone out by then. Probably not. But if it has, please download the I'm a Celebrity app and vote for Nigel. After you have emailed us at breakthenewspod at gmail.com, of course. Yes. Looking ahead now to our schedule in the next um, three weeks or so, perhaps we'll take a week off on the 22nd of December. So our next podcast will probably be our last before Christmas and then we'll do specials just before and after the new year with our predictions. Sound good? Yes, that sounds good, yeah. Because with Christmas coming, we do need to take it easy. And I'm going to be working as well a lot, so... We do need to spend time with our families. And and the news usually settles a bit. Yeah, I remember last year, we did actually record it through the day, but I'm going to be too busy to record through the day. And like I say, guessing you've got some plans for your family this year, have you? Oh yeah, all the usual Christmas traditional stuff, or nothing too radical. I know that the Christmas song says war is over, and you might believe that listening to this podcast, because we haven't mentioned them so far, but the um, war's 
in Ukraine and Gaza do rage on, but I couldn't think of anything new to say about them this no, week. So. They're still raging, and like you say, you'll be back on Mitchie soon. That's free until after Christmas, and we'll be making our New Year's predictions. We'll be around. So take care, everyone, and see you next week. Yep, see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.